But this morning, I'm excited about being with you. I always love being in this church, and I, and I really uh, am very excited because I believe God has a very clear word for us this morning. Very familiar passage of Scripture we're going to start with this morning in 1 Samuel. If you have your Bible with you and you want to turn there, it's that uh, we certainly encourage that, want you to do that. 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16, of course, we'll have it on the screens for you as well if you don't happen to have your Bible with you, all right, this morning. 1 Samuel 16, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. As I said, it's a very familiar passage of Scripture to most all of us, and, and there's a, therein lies a problem because sometimes when we read something that's familiar, we think we know it's there and we tend to read over it. I want to encourage you this morning to read it as though you've never read it before, right? Let God speak to you fresh and new this morning through this wonderful powerful story here in 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 11. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, that's uh, Jesse's firstborn. When Samuel saw Eliab, he thought, surely this guy will be successful on Christian television. (laughs) No, no. He said, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at things the man, that man looks at. Man looks at outward appearance, giftings, backgrounds, education levels, all those different things. But the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next. Verse 9, Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. In other words, there's one more, but you don't want to bother asking him to get here. You don't want to meet with him. That guy, listen, he wasn't the captain of the football team. In fact, uh, he wasn't even a starter. He spent most of his time on the bench. And, and of course, he did graduate from high school. We're not exactly sure how, uh, but, but he did manage to graduate somehow or another, we think. Uh, but yeah, he's not really worthy to even be here, so that's why we have him out there taking care of the sheep, because that's about all he's good for. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Now, saints, let me tell you something, beloved of God. That, look, the kingdom never goes to the eighth child. 
in the Hebrew culture that day, the firstborn is the one who got the inheritance. Inheritance went to the firstborn. All the blessings, all that goodies, all that neat stuff, it all went to the firstborn, amen? Yet David is the eighth child, not the first child. He's the eighth child. And this morning, what I want to speak to you about is the kingdom of the eighth child, the kingdom of the eighth child. And I'm using that in the same way that the Bible, I believe, speaks of this. I'm using it as a biblical metaphor, the eighth child, as a biblical metaphor of that person who at least at times feels like they're an outcast. That person who feels like they're overlooked, insignificant, the one not most likely to see, the one who feels like I'm the least likely to succeed, the last one chosen by the world, the last one chosen by the religious community, the one that no one wants to pick, no one that is but God, the kingdom of the eighth child, the kingdom of the eighth Child, now get this, please understand this, saying the kingdom of God is in fact the kingdom of the eighth child. That's what it is. And you're going to see that as we go through this today. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of the eighth child. And let me tell you this real quickly here. In the Bible, you know that names have significance to them, right? Names of town, names of people. So do numbers. And the number eight always represents a new beginning, a new beginning. Now, we're going to come back to that in a minute because that's really significant. But get this, when we read this story, see this, that the seven sons of Jesse, when they pass by, they look so good externally on the outside that not only their dad, Jesse, but even the great prophet Samuel looked at them and said, man, surely one of these guys is going to qualify as the next king of Israel. Finally, God had to interject into it. He said, look, Samuel, hey, hang on, wait a minute. I told you that I would indicate which one it was. So until that happens, zip it up. (laughs) Zip up your mouth. And by the way, zip your mind up as well too, amen? Because you're getting hung up on the external, on what you see on the outside. But I'll choose my leader my way, amen? I'll choose my my leader based on the heart. I'll choose them based on inner qualities. I will choose my leader based on character. Everybody in here say character. Say, I need character. Oh, say it again. I need character. Yeah, you, you don't need to be a character. Amen. I need to have character. That was a big difference between those, amen? Listen, I I believe that God's main activity, his main activity is searching for the right man and searching for the right woman. That's the main thing that he does. And when he's looking, he's not hung up on all the external things that so many of us get caught up with when we look at others and even when we look at ourselves. God's not looking at those things. God's looking at the heart. God's looking at the inside. Now, why do you believe that, Pastor Miles? Because the Word of God says it very plainly and clearly to us, right? In 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, it says, The Lord's eyes scan the whole world to find those whose hearts are committed to him, fully committed to him, and to strengthen them. Now, that Hebrew word for strengthen there, it's a rich word. It means to establish, and you'll see that in some of the translations. God's looking, looking, looking. When he finds a person who's got things right on the inside, he says, oh, found them, got them. I'm going to establish them. Oh, just think about that word for a minute. God himself saying, I'm going to establish you. 
I'm going to make you mighty. I'm going to strongly support you. I'm going to build you into something amazing that's going to cause you to be amazed and others around you to be amazed. And here's the truth that many times that person feels like a nobody. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody cares what's happening in my life. And even when God's eyes fall on them, they feel that way. And even when God begins that process of making them mighty, establishing them, strongly supporting them, even then sometimes they're sitting there feeling like a nobody. Nobody sees me. Nobody thinks about me. I don't even know if God himself knows that I exist. And I want to say this to you this morning. If you're here this morning and you have ever had occasions when you felt that way, I'm telling you, you're in a good place today. You came on the right morning. You're tuning in at the right time because I've come here this morning with good news for you. Listen, most of the time, God does not choose from the front of the line. God chooses from the rear of the line. Amen. Jesus' own words are what? The last shall be first. So God's eyes fall not to the front of the line, he falls to the back of the line. Now, that's not the way man does it, but it is the way that God himself does it. God is looking at inner qualities. He's looking for inner qualities. He's not looking for Johnny Handsome or Betty Talented, amen? He's looking for the inside. God is committed, hear me, God is committed to character, not to gifting. Now, that's so important, I'm gonna say it one more time. God is committed to character, not to gifting. Listen, say, gifting is just that, man. It's a gift that's given to you. That's why they call it gifting. Duh, amen. There's a light bulb moment there. Wow, what a revelation inside. That's why they call it gifting, because it's a gift. You didn't do anything to deserve it. That's salvation. It's a gift. You didn't do anything to deserve that. You can't earn that. Guess what? Giftings that you have are the same way. You didn't do anything to deserve them. You didn't earn those. God gave them to you. They're just a gift. And some of you in this uh, church, you know that, that for over 25 years now, I do one of the main things that I do is preach and teach in different pastors' conferences uh, across this nation and other nations of the world. And uh, one of the things that's very common when you do pastors' conferences, they'll have a Q&A session, usually towards the end of the week. And so, you know, I remember in the beginning when I first started doing these, I thought, boy, I'm getting a little nervous, these Q&As, because somebody's going to ask you a question that you've never thought of before. After a while, you figure out, nah, they ask the same questions all the time. And here, here, here's one that they do. Nothing new under the sun, Solomon said, right? And so, yeah, here's one of the ones that you get asked almost every single time, and almost always it's a young pastor. And they say to you, Pastor Miles, question for you. How is it that you can maintain a humble spirit when God gives you a big gift, like, like a big preaching gift? You have this big gift to preach. How do you stay humble? And I said, well, that's really simple. You have to remember what it is. It's a gift. Come on, that's, it's a gift. How can you get arrogant, prideful, big-headed about a gift? You didn't do anything to deserve it. God just gave it to you, Amen. Yeah, so God can give that gift to whoever he wants to, amen? I mean, God could have given his gift to me to preach, or he could have given it to a jackass, amen? Don't get offended. That's a Bible word. Come on. 
God could have given that preaching gift to me or he could have given it to a jackass and I'll let you figure out which one uh, he should have gotten it. Amen, all right. (laughs) Gifting is a gift. Man, you didn't do anything to deserve it. Character, on the other hand, comes from making right choices. Amen, come on, making right decisions. It's choosing to tell the truth all the time. No matter what the situation is, I tell the truth, especially when it gets me in hot water. It gets me in trouble. I know that up front, but by God, I'm going to be a truth teller all the time. Amen? That's character. Come on. Being on time. That's character. Ouch. Somebody out here said ouch on that one. I know. Come on. Let your yes be yes. You said you're going to be there, then be there. All right? And when you go to work, work hard. Work hard. Come on. That's character. Give it your best. Amen? Well, Pastor Miles, you, you just don't know my boss. I don't need to know your boss. Man, when I worked at American Express, I had all kind of bosses. Some were phenomenal and some were horrific. Amen? And I can tell you this, as before God, I did not change my work ethic one bit. I didn't give any less for that bad boss than I did for the good boss. Because, you know, I figured it out a long time ago. I don't really work for them anyway. I work for Jesus. And I'm not here at work to evangelize. <gasps> Did you really say that? Yes. Yeah, I mean, what? I'm there and I'm evangelizing. Hey, you're stealing time from your boss. He paid for your time. You evangelize on your work, on your lunch break. Amen. Yeah, you evangelize after hours on the weekend. All right, stop using his time that he paid for for you to do that. When you're on his time, evangelize by your character. On, How about that? Amen. Come on, that's character that's making right choices. How about this one? Respond to authority in the right way. God has sovereignly ordained different authorities in your life, your parents, come on, church leadership, those that that you're under at work. Well, you know, that that boss, I mean, again, come on, don't go there with me. Listen, you know, I mean, I remember six months ago when you were up here in front of everybody at church saying, oh, God gave me this job. Well, he gave you that boss along with that job, didn't he? Yeah. And you young people, you need to hear me. You need to listen to me. If you want to walk in the blessings of God, you better learn this one. Boy, it's a big problem today. You better learn. I better walk under God-ordained authority right in my life if I want the blessings of God in my life. That's just the way it works. Well, I'm not going to walk. I'm going to push back on. I'm going to argue with them, and I'm not going to submit to them. And then you think you're going to walk in the blessings of God. Man, I'm telling you, the cheese has fallen off of your cracker if you believe that. Amen. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. I'm going to tell you. Character. How about having a heart to serve? I'm not saying just I'm willing to serve every now and then. Okay, all right. Anthony asked me to do that again. I'll step up. And Pastor Brad, okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having a heart that loves to serve. Come on, developing a heart that loves to serve. Listen, God, he values character above gifting. And we've got to get that. We've got to understand that. I'm telling you, it's such an important deal. It's one of the reasons I tell parents, and I've been telling that for over 30 years, don't celebrate your child's giftings. And every time I do that, parents look at me like, what did you just say? I think he misspoke. No, I didn't. All right? Don't celebrate your child's giftings. Help them discover their giftings and help them develop those giftings, not just for themselves, but primarily for what God can do for others through them, right? 
but don't celebrate those giftings. Instead, celebrate their character. Oh, come on. Celebrate their character. When they do their chores, those things that they're supposed to do on an ongoing basis in your household, when they do them and do them well, celebrate that. When they do things that they weren't even asked to do, come on, they just showed initiative, just saw something that needed to be done and jumped in there. Celebrate that. When they get mistreated by other people and respond the right way in a godly way, celebrate that, amen? When they do things with excellence, the excellence of God on what they do, celebrate that. Celebrate their character, not their gifting. This is such a huge problem in the day in which we're living today. Too many people out there with lots of talent, but not much character. A lot of talent, but not much character. What a problem. And listen, can you, do you understand this? That, that gifting can be a big problem to you. The bigger your gift is, the more likely it can be a problem for you. Oh, I need more gifting. I, no, you prob, no, probably not a good idea for you to pray that. Amen? Not unless you've grown a lot in the Lord and gotten really discipled well and got a lot of his character in you. Gifting can cause me a problem. Oh, absolutely. Let me give you one of them real quickly. You know what? Especially if you have a big gift, you can get promoted beyond what your character can handle. That, that big gift will get you promoted to a place where the, you're going to be the next crash, boom, failure that we're going to see in the church, and we don't need more of those. Amen? How many of you can wave your hand at me this morning and seen enough of that? Amen? We don't need more of those, all right? So I can tell you this, for over 30 years, there's not a week in my life that has gone by that at least once, usually it's a lot more than once, but at least once during that week where I haven't prayed, God, whatever you do, please do not promote me beyond what my character can handle. Don't open any door for me that my character can't get me through because otherwise, you know what? That's like this skyscraper that they didn't build a big enough foundation for and you keep adding stories on that thing and sooner or later, you add a story on there that the whole thing's gonna come crashing down. Man, don't promote me. And so we got all these people in churches around the world. Oh, I, I need more anointing in my life. Oh, I, I, need, I need more gifting. I need, no, 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 no. It's gonna destroy you if you don't have the character. Stop crying out for that and start crying out for character in your life, Amen. Man, listen, God is always focused on the heart. God's always focused on those inside things. And sadly, so many times in the church of Jesus Christ, we have become like Jesse, like Samuel, where we sometimes overlook people. We look past them. You know why we do? We look past them because they're not poly pretty. Amen? They're all messed up on the outside. Now, inside, God's got a hold of their heart, and he's changing them, and it's a wonderful thing, but on the outside, it hadn't yet showed yet, and they're still kind of messed up out there. I I remember probably about uh, around 20 years ago, 18, 20 years ago, we had a service in Wharton in our home church in our network, and uh, we had altar call, and well, we had a bunch of people came up that morning across the front, and so a lot of us were playing for multiple people, and I started praying for a different one, and I walked down about the third or fourth one I prayed for that morning, young man, late 20s, first time visitor to our church, and I walked up, started to pray for him, and as soon as I reached my hands out towards him, you know, he got his head, he closed his eyes like that, and I started to pray for him, and God said, don't you touch him. I went, whoa. Okay, I was clear. And so I'm waiting. I thought, well, because this happened a lot of times. I know what that usually means is God's going to give me a word for him. And so I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And finally, the guy's eyes open up, and he kind of looks at me like, what's going on? And I'm looking at him like, I don't know. 
<laughs> kind, of, kind of waiting here, you know? And so we're waiting, and yeah, it's like two minutes, three minutes, and it's like, this is getting awkward, you know? And then all of a sudden, the Lord gives me a word for him. And I looked at him, and I said, the Lord sees your heart. Now, as soon as I said that to him, this is what he did. He went, just like that. Shoulders went down, head went, the Lord sees your heart. Oh. And I went, what? Because the way the Lord said it to me, it was like a little lilt in his voice. He was happy. The Lord sees your heart. Oh. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. And then the Lord showed me what the problem was. And that was his issue. He came up for something else, but that wasn't really the issue. God wanted to put his finger on that day. He said, whoa, 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 look at me. Open your eyes, look up at me. You missed that. You see, what you did is you look at your heart, and all you're seeing is the edge of your heart. And you look at that and go, oh, yuck, I've got this I hadn't done right yet, and I haven't cleaned up this area of my life, and this isn't fixed yet, and I'm not where I'm supposed to be here, and I, I don't have this discipline in my life. All these different things. That's just on the outside. God looks past the edge of your heart. He looks down to the core of your heart. He knows that he's captured it. And so he knows what's already happening is going to continue to happen, that it's going to continue to push everything out. Come on, until it gets to the edge and then it's out of your life. Only the Pharisees work from the outside in. Come on, Jesus said you clean the outside of the cup, yeah. Whitewashed sepulchers, all white on the outside, inside rotting men's bones. See, that's the way the religious people work from the outside in. God works from the inside out. Amen, he's after our hearts. And those are the kind of people God picks, amen. Meanwhile, in the church, we're picking people that look good on the inside or on the outside, but inside they've got all of these selfish motivations. They may be highly gifted, but they got all these selfish motivations, selfish ambitions. And I'm telling you, as long as all of the decisions that are being made, they agree with and they're happy with those, and they're kind of opening more doors for them to do what they feel like their ministry is in the church. Oh, everything's wonderful. Oh, this is the greatest place. Oh, my God. But then when decisions start going in a way they don't agree with or it limits them and what they believe is their ministry in the church, I'm telling you, those kind of people will turn on you in a New York second. They'll become meaner than a rattlesnake with menopause. I'm telling you. Amen. Yeah, and they'll turn on you. Come on, they will bite you and they will hurt you, amen? Been there, done that, got the T-shirt and the scars, amen? Men choose from the outside. God, meanwhile, is choosing based on the inside. Men choose from the front of the line, but God chooses from the back of the line. Well, come on now. There could be somebody here this morning, and you're sitting there, and you're saying, boy, Pastor Miles, I don't think anything's ever going to change in my life. I don't think anything's ever going to get better. I'm just stuck in this place for the rest of my life. And so when you start talking about King David, man, I identify with him. Boy, back on the, on the backside of a mountain somewhere, nobody knows he exists over there, hanging out with a bunch of smelly sheep. Yeah. Come on, can you imagine that? But David is back there and he is being faithful to do what's before him, what God has put before him. And so a bear shows up one day and he starts to grab one of those lambs out there and David looks out there and says, Dad, come up the big old bear. And all I got is this little slingshot. Didn't have my Winchester with me today, so I got this little slingshot. Now, that's a big old bear, and the more I look at that sheep, I remember that. That's one of those sheep that's been giving me a hard time anyway. Hey. 
Bears got to eat too. You know, come on. I mean, hey. No, that isn't what he did, is it? Come on. And that isn't what he did when the line came. See, he's faithful. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you feel like that, you stay right there on the backside of that mountain. And you be faithful to do what God has put in your hand. Amen? You be faithful to do what you're asked to do. And just like David, just like David, you do it in the right heart and the right spirit. And you know what happens? You become a candidate for the kingdom of the eighth child. You become a candidate for the kingdom of the eighth child. God has got a place for you. And listen to me. God has got an anointing waiting on you. Did you notice that in the passage we read from 1 Samuel 16? David wasn't even invited to the prophetic conference. But there's an anointing waiting there for him. It's got his name on it, and God isn't going to let anything move until that happens. Amen? Oh, yeah, come on. After the seven rejects passed by, the prophet Samuel says this in verse 11. Are these all the sons you got? Because I'm telling you something, Jesse. If you ain't got any other boys, uh, I'm in trouble. I missed it. Now, here's a good question. Why did the dad, Jesse, leave David off when the prophet of God said, bring all of your sons there? Oh, that's a lot there, isn't it? But this much we know for sure, David got snubbed by his own dad and by his own brothers. He did. Rejected. Set aside by them. But while the proud sons of Jesse were passing by the prophet of God, God's eyes were not on them. God's eyes were focused on the backside of the mountain, amen? God's eyes were focused on the back of the line, on the one that would have been overlooked and overlooked and overlooked and overlooked again and again and again in life. God's eyes were focused on the eighth child, not the first child or the second child or the third child. God was focused on that one whose heart was perfected towards God, amen? Not that he was perfect. He certainly wasn't, but his heart was perfected towards God. And when Jesse, when the dad finally mentions that there's one more, boy, I'm telling you, if you can kind of get yourself into this story and kind of get a sense of what really happened there, I'm telling you, when he mentioned that there's one more, boy, the prophet Samuel, he perks up, doesn't he? He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and I don't know how many times I read this, literally hundreds of times before one day it finally hit me. And I thought, what on earth? How have I missed that all these times? Did you notice what he says in verse 11? He said, this is what Samuel said, we will not sit down until he arrives. He didn't say, I won't sit down. We won't. Nobody is going to sit down. You stand right where you are. Nothing's moving. Nothing's happening until he gets here. Saints, get this. Don't miss this this morning. God is about to give this nation a new beginning. Oh, man, he's about, listen, he's about to take them as a people to a place that they have never been before, a place bigger, better, more abundant, more prosperous, more peaceful, uh, more victory than they could even dream of. He's about to do this new beginning, but everything is on hold. Everything is standing still until the eighth child shows up on the scene. 
And Samuel says this, the whole program of God, this is essentially what he's saying, the whole program of God is standing still until the eighth child gets here. Nothing is going to move until the right one gets here. And so I'm wondering something this morning. Who's waiting on you? Who is waiting on you? What is waiting on you? What life group in this church is waiting on you? What ministry in this church is waiting on you? Come on. What business is waiting on you? What city is waiting on you? What nation is waiting on you? Oh, well, that's too big. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Who's waiting on you? What's waiting on you? Listen, there are some phenomenal ministries in this church who are doing some phenomenal things. Oh, my. Amazing. What an incredible house this is. What a great church this is. A wonderful ministry doing wonderful things. But we haven't even scratched the surface in this church of what God intends to do through those ministries. Amen? And once you wake up, Rip Van Winkle, come on, and recognize that you're supposed to be the one who's supposed to step forward and serve there faithfully, then guess what? It won't happen. Listen, there are churches that are supposed to be planted out of this church. There are new beginnings that God wants to do in you. There are new beginnings that God wants to do through you. And it will not happen until you understand that the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of the first child. First and foremost, it's the kingdom of the eighth child. And that means you qualify. You need to understand it's the kingdom of the eighth child. And you need to understand that you are who God says you are. Not who other people have told you you are. Not who you've told yourself you are. You're only who God says you are. Start believing what God himself has said about you. I, I can tell you this. Over 25 years ago, uh, I was uh, shocked one day when I got a call. Uh, I got a call from a guy. I had met him a few years before. He's a big, big name in the body of Christ. He's gone to be with the Lord recently. Uh, this guy was already uh, like around 72 or so, planted hundreds of churches in different nations of the world, I mean, uh, bring oversight as a father figure to a lot of big ministries around the world. I'd met him at a conference, talked with him briefly, and I'm getting a phone call, and he says, hi, Miles, this is so-and-so, and I'm going. Uh, first thing that went through my mind is, wonder which one of my friends is pulling this prank. I did, honestly. Took me at least about three minutes or so before I realized that this was real. And he said, I had a cancellation in my schedule about four weeks out, three, four weeks out, and he said, you know, I've got this long list of people here in America that have said, you know, will you please, you know, uh, if you have a cancellation, please get me in there because I'm booked like two years out. And he said, uh, you know, I, I, I just started to call one of them and the Lord stopped me and he says, no, I want you to track down Miles Sweeney. You, get, you met him at the conference. He said, he took me back to that, that meeting. And I sat there and thought, man, I can't remember. The Lord reminded me with your hometown. And so I called and, and, and found out where you were and got your number. And uh, he said, I just wanted to see... Um, would you like for me to come and speak at your church three weeks from now? And I said, you're serious. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm serious. I said, well, you need to understand something. I said, you know, we're, we're like 60 people, and we're this old building that's run down, you know, got white butcher paper on the windows on the front. I mean, we, you know, we're just getting started. And, and he's like, none of that matters to me. God said for me to do it. I said, well, yeah, you're on. The week of, he calls me back. 
And he says, oh, by the way, my wife is going to come with me. And I thought, man, that's even better news because she has got an incredible prophetic gift known in different places around the world. Incredibly detailed, accurate prophetic gift. And I thought, wouldn't that be awesome if she had a word for our church? And so that morning comes and they come in and everybody's so excited and we're there and worship starts. And I remember thinking before the service that morning, man, I hope, Lord, please give her a word for us. We could really use a word. This church could use a word from you right now. And, uh, and so first song, we're not even a minute into the first song and she comes forward to get the mic. And I thought, yeah, man, great. We're going to get a word. She takes the mic, comes off the stage, walks and stands right in front of me. And I went, uh-oh. Oh, don't look at me with those sanctimonious faces. You'd have done the same thing. I'm thinking, what hidden sin is she going to call out in front of everybody here? (laughs) And she stood there in front of me, and she starts saying, nations, nations, nations. God is saying, nations, you're going to touch nations, and you're going to do this in this nation. And then she starts listing these nations. I'm going, man, I don't even know where those are on the map. And I, I mean, back in, that was the, back in the beginning of our church, boy, we had so many people that had come in. They were, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't like where they were. There wasn't any life there. They come here and it's like, man, you guys are charismatic and I don't want any of that, you know. Uh, but, but I love the life of God here. But I don't, but they were, they were kind of, we had so many of them in there that were straggling and arguing, fighting over all that. And it's like, oh my God, a bunch of hard-headed. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's, uh, you know. And so, but, but we were, that was where we were. We had a, had a whole bunch of them that had come in. And, and these guys are sitting behind me and she starts saying that. And they are falling, I'm telling you, three, four rows, not exaggerate, are falling like cordwood back there. Timber, and no catchers. They're bouncing off chairs, landing on the hard floor. They just fall. Boy, afterwards, we were talking when they said, man, I didn't even believe that stuff was real. And I, but man, I stand there, and all the power just drained out of my body, and I couldn't stop myself. I just fell, man. I was like, yeah, I know. And so she's saying these words, and it's like, this is crazy. So we go on with the service, and he preaches an incredible message. You have a wonderful ministry. We go home. That afternoon, the sound guy in our church at that time, he calls. He says, he said, I saw her come up there, and so we got the whole thing recorded. My wife and I are writing it down. We're just about finished. We got it word for word for you, and we're going to bring it to you here in, in about 15 minutes. And I said, oh, man, thank you. So sure enough, they brought it to us. I still never forget it. They put it in a little black folder, you know, a little presentation folder, and they gave us that word. Once our kids, our kids were real young at that age, uh, at that point in time in our life, and uh, so they, they were, uh, you know, up and at them and at it, and they finally went to bed, and we got them put in bed, Sally and I went and sat in the living room and got that folder out, and we we're reading through this word. Nations and these different nations. We're going, what on earth? This is crazy. What are you talking about, nations? I only have a passport. And as long as Mexico lets you get in with a birth certificate, I don't need one, man. I mean, what? <laughs> Nations. This is crazy. It's just too big. It doesn't make sense. And we'd sit there and look through it, and then we'd put it up, and we'd go to bed. The next night, we did it again. And I still can't remember today whether it was three or four nights in a row we did that. That next morning, I was in there praying, spending time with the Lord, praying about something I'm sure real important, and God just completely interrupted it. You've been there? Yeah. And, and he just said, Miles, Take that word, stick it in a file folder, and don't pull it out until I tell you. That's over 25 years ago. I've still not looked at it since then because he hadn't told me I could. He said, 
put it in a folder. He said, the only reason I gave you that word is to begin to stretch your vision for what I am wanting and willing to do through you. But here's the deal. None of that will happen if this week you don't do what I tell you to do this week. If you don't deal with things that I put my finger on, if you don't step forward in obedience to everything I tell you, none of that will happen. Do you understand? I said, yes, sir. He said, and next week, if you don't do everything that I tell you to do next week, none of that will happen. And three weeks from now, if you don't do everything in that week that I tell you to do, none of that will happen. I said, I stop. I got it. I think it kept going. All right. And this is essentially what he told me and taught me over the next few days. He said, listen, I want you to simply be fat. Be fat. That's it. And somebody say, boy, you accomplished that. Hey, easy. <laughs> now, this is what he said. Be fat. Be faithful. Be available. And be teachable. Be faithful. Be available. And be teachable. Amen? Be faithful. Do exactly what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it. Stop arguing. Stop pushing, well, yeah, but, and, but God, you don't know. I mean, I understand fully. Trust me. I got it. I mean, you just do what I tell you to do. Stop arguing. Just do it immediately. I want instant obedience from here on out. You read something in the Word, just do it. Stop saying, well, yeah, but maybe that's not for this time. And maybe, no, just do it. Simple obedience. Radical obedience. Be faithful. Be available. That means your schedule doesn't matter anymore. Mine does. You change your schedule to fit what I want you to do. Stop saying, I don't have time. I wish I could do that, but I can't. No, you do what I tell you to do. Come on. And you make that a priority and everything else is secondary. You be available. And then you be teachable. Be a learner. Always be open. Always be teachable. Be not just a learner. Be an aggressive learner. Push yourself. Continue to grow and grow and grow and never, ever stop. Amen? Listen to me, saints. David didn't send in a resume. He didn't go around kissing a bunch of babies so so that he could become the next president of Israel. He was just faithful, and he was faithful in the middle of nowhere, but God had his eye on that boy. God had not forgotten him. And then the day finally comes and the eighth child walks onto the scene. And if you get yourself in the middle of the story, you can get this sense. I mean, David walks up and it's like God himself in heaven and all the angels, they're up there dancing and hollering. It's happening. It's the day. We've been waiting for this day. We've been working in this guy for so long. We got him right where we want him. And it's about to happen, a new beginning. He's here, he's here, he's the one. And there's an anointing sitting there waiting for him with his name on it. Listen to me this morning. If you have ever felt forgotten, if you have ever felt left out like David, you need to understand that there's an anointing waiting on you. It's got your name on it, it's yours. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest if, everybody say if, if you do not give up, if you don't quit, you hang in there, let God have his way, you keep doing what he tells you, you be faithful, you be available, you be teachable, and you keep doing it, 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 come on, and you keep doing it, and you keep doing it, and you keep doing it. 
You, you know what that verse is about? Galatians 6, 9. That verse is for the members of the kingdom of the eighth child. That's who that verse is for. That's what that verse is all about. And listen to me, the Bible is full of them. The Bible's full of them. Moses, who are you? <laughs> I'm a murderer. What? Yeah, I'm a murderer. I got a sense of what God wanted to do and, and, and a sense of the way he might want to use me. And I went out there and tried to accomplish it in my own strength and in my own flesh. And I killed a man. Had to flee for my life. Spent 40 years on the backside of the desert out there with stinky sheep again. 40 years hiding in the wilderness. And then one day God showed up in the form of a burning bush and called me, can you believe it? Called me to be the deliverer of his people. Esther, who were you? I was an orphan. Woo! That's a bad deal today. Back in that day, oh, that's horrific. Big, strike one. And here's strike two, it's even bigger. I'm not only an orphan, I'm a refugee. Have you ever seen pictures of refugee camps even today? Can you imagine what they must have been like back in those days? She's an orphan and a refugee. She said, man, I'm just an orphan. I'm just a refugee. That's who I was. But God saw something in me that I did not see in myself. And he called me to be the one who delivered his people from extinction. Amos, who were you? Well, I was a nobody. I, mean, I wasn't a prophet. I wasn't even the son of a prophet. I was just a farmer. But God saw something in me that I didn't see and nobody else saw in me. And he used me to become a prophet of his. And I wrote, I penned some of the most beautiful words that have ever been written. Elijah, who were you? I was, I was a Tishbite. What's a Tishbite? That's a mountain man. What he's saying is I was a redneck hillbilly. That's who I was. Come on, I'll help you in modern vernacular. That's what he, I'm a redneck hillbilly. That's what I, but God found me and called me and developed me and turned me into one of the greatest prophets that the, of God that has ever been seen. I did some of the most amazing miracles and I brought down the most evil, wicked regime that ever ruled over the people of God. Elijah, who are you? Uh, I was just a nobody. I was out plowing in the field for my dad just out there plowing the field. And all of a sudden, I see the great prophet Elijah walking along beside the field. He takes off his mantle, he drops it on the ground and keeps walking. And I'm going, what's up with this? And then something inside of me, that still small voice of God says, it's yours, go pick it up, it's yours. And I did, and God took me, me of all people, and doubled the miracles that he did through Elijah doubled the anointing, amen, and used me in powerful ways. Matthew, who were you? I was a tax collector. You were what? I was a tax collector. I ripped people off every single day, and I was doggone good at it. But then one day, Jesus showed up on the scene. He saw past what was on the outside. He saw down into my heart, and he said, you, come, I'll make you fishers of men. And I dropped it all and left him, and I became one of the 12 apostles. Timothy, who are you? Well, my father was a, was a Greek. My mom was a Jewish, you know, Jewish person. So, so you know what I was? I was a half-breed. I was the kid at school that everybody made fun of every day. I hated recess. 
I couldn't even go into the synagogue because I was a half-breed. Yet God saw something in me that no one else saw, and he took me and he made me a pastor in the early church, and not just a pastor, but I functioned as an apostle in my early 20s. Rahab, who were you? I was a hooker. I was a prostitute on the streets of Jericho. But God used me to save the 12 spies so they could go by and ended up conquering Jericho and all of Canaan. And by the way, if you haven't read recently, go read Matthew 1. You'll see my name there in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gideon, who were you? I, I was a chicken. I was afraid of my own shadow. But God saw past all of that on the external. He saw into my heart, and he said, no, you're a mighty deliverer, and he used me to deliver his people. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? It's the kingdom of the eighth child. It's the kingdom of the eighth child. Amen? Stand with me this morning, if you would. 